Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. As I said earlier, this is one of those significant anniversaries for us. Um, that image um, is, is a stark one. Um, again, you likely remember where you were that terrible morning. Um, and I remember thinking that when the first plane hit that, you know, what a terrible accident and start watching the smoke billowing out of the top of that building. And, and I distinctly remember seeing that, that in the video, that second plane coming in. And, uh, and just that, that awful realization that this was not an accident, that uh, that, 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 that was not a mistake. Uh, it was intentional. And I, again, I, just the, the images on our television sets, I mean, it seemed like something out of a Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, it literally looked like something that, that, uh, that somebody had, had, you know, an, an apocalyptic film, the people running out of that dust cloud, and, and it was just a, just a horrifying day. But it wasn't a Hollywood blockbuster. It was, it was real. And it would literally change a generation. And I've got, my oldest son was not alive. And I look at him as, as, a, as an adult now, trying to live as an adult and function as an adult and realize that, that he did not see this, that his only recollection of this was from what he has learned over the years. And, and so many, even in the room today, were not alive that September day. Uh, but it would change a generation but now where those two great towers stood, there is a monument to remind future generations about the tragic loss of life that took place on September 11, 2001. I've not personally had the opportunity to visit Ground Zero since the monument was finished. Have any of y'all been able to go to Ground Zero and, and see the monument there? Um, <clears throat> I don't know how you can actually go to New York City and not stop by this location uh, right now. I don't know how you could not go pay tribute at this site. And I'm sure even this morning that uh, the customary uh, memorial services are taking place where the names of the victims are being read and, and everything like that. Um, you know, we're all very accustomed to monuments and memorials, whether they're massive like the September 11th memorial sitting at Ground Zero, or even those large marble structures that you see around Washington, D.C., or, or even the smaller monuments that we encounter. I mean, we live around a Civil War battlefield, and I mean, how many of us take those monuments for granted when you drive through the battlefield and you see those, those big obelisks that are sticking up out of the ground? I mean, Wilder Tower, I mean, it's always interesting when people not from here come to here, they, they want to go climb the tower, and we're all like, oh, that's a lot of steps, I don't want to climb that. Um, but that monument, that was the first one in the Chickamauga battlefield, and it, uh, it represents, uh, it, it tells a story. It, has a, it, has, it tells us about our history. And all such monuments and memorials uh, tell that story, whether it's some sort of historical moment, some sort of historical person, some sort of major aspect of a battle. Um, it's hard to drive past those monuments, those memorials, and, and at least not ask the question, if you notice, you know, what happened here? What circumstance unfolded at this place? What took place where this monument now stands? Last week we left off in Joshua chapter 3, and the priests were standing in the Jordan River. The water had been parted. Uh, God did another remarkable water miracles. God loves the water miracles. And, and I think it's because people in biblical days were so afraid of water. Uh, water was a, represented that great unknown. I mean, there were, sea, there were sea serpents out in the ocean. And so water was a... Water was something that people were, were, were very much afraid of, uh, and so when God is able to 
manipulate water like he does. It shows that he has incredible power over those elements. I think about Jesus and his disciples, whether it was walking on the water, calming the storm, that that water represented a very real threat to, to life, and Jesus showed mastery over it. And in Joshua chapter three and four, God shows mastery over the water. And in this case, the water in the Jordan River was stopped by a miraculous dam. For the first time in history, a massive lake formed right there on the Jordan River. And the nation was able to pass by over on dry ground, just like a previous generation was able to do when God parted the Red Sea. Well, how do you commemorate such an act? How do you, how do you make future generations remember what God did there? And Joshua did what we might do. He built a monument. And actually, when you read Joshua chapter 4, it appears that he actually built two monuments to record this act. And that's what Joshua chapter 4 is all about, building a monument, building something to remind future generations of what happened in that place, in that time, to remind future generations of what God did. And just like those monuments were there to serve as a teacher to the nation, it turns out that they also serve as a teacher for us as well. This morning, let's turn our attention to Joshua chapter four. I wanna read the first 11 verses of the chapter. If you'll will, stand with me as I read these words from Joshua chapter four, beginning in verse one. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the, priest, where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial, a monument forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for this memorial that has been created in Israel to remind future generations of your faithfulness. And Lord, though the stones may no longer be there, your faithfulness remains and the story remains for us to consider and to be reminded of how faithful you indeed are. May we understand well today and may we remember well the great things you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Throughout the Old Testament, you will see that God will 
tell the people of God to place marks and points of significance around. And most commonly, when there was a momentous occasion, a great spiritual moment that came through, people would build altars. In Genesis chapter 8, the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark is, is to, uh, to build an, an altar. Abraham built at least three altars that we can find. Isaac, in Genesis 26, built an altar in Beersheba. Jacob, in Genesis 35, built an altar at Bethel. Moses, in Exodus 17, at Rephidim, built an altar shortly after leaving Mount Sinai after a significant military battle. Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Saul, David, Elijah, all of them built altars as a way of uh, reminding themselves, reminding future generations what God had done. And a lot of times a, a pile of rocks would be constructed to demonstrate something of significance. If you see a, a pile of rocks in your yard today, you look at that and think, think man, that's, that's work that's got to be done. You've got to get that pile of rocks moved. But in biblical times, a pile of rocks may actually be a reminder of something that God had done, a place where God had shown himself faithful. For example, in uh, Genesis 31, 46, Jacob uses a pile of rocks to establish a covenant with his father-in-law. In Joshua, there are several instances where the writer of Joshua mentions that the stones are there to this day, indicating that they should serve as constant reminders to a current generation. It wouldn't be uncommon for you to pass by one of these places on a journey and then share with your children and your family and those who were traveling with the story of what took place there. You might even do that with your friends who come to visit when you pass through the battlefield. You didn't say, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's Wilder Tower, or that's this monument, or that monument. And if you're a little bit of a geek, maybe you, uh, maybe you give a little bit of the history that, that goes along with it. It's not uncommon. For these ancient piles of stone or these ancient altars, they served as, as sort of signposts or monuments. They didn't just detail the, the civil history of the people. They had spiritual connections as well that reminded people about the journey they had been on with the Lord. These piles of rocks or these stone altars told a, a comprehensive story of the picture of what God had done with his people. And I would say that that may be a practice that we should do a better job of, not necessarily piling rocks up around in important places, but chronicling to future generations the good things that God has done in our lives. We might want to call those monumental moments. As we think about those monumental moments, one of the things we have to be aware of is we have to be more alert to spiritually significant moments. Obviously, there on the banks of the Jordan River, it didn't take a theologian or a a wise man or even a rocket scientist to figure out that what was taking place in the nation was significant. If you had been there and you had seen the Ark of the Covenant move into the water and you had seen the water start piling up, you're going to make a mental note of what you had just seen. You're going you're to be reminded of what was just taking place. God was building a dam without a drop of concrete. The river backed up into a lake and the ground downstream dried up completely. This was clearly not an ordinary day. And you were likely thinking about your parents and grandparents who were able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Everybody in that moment was probably thinking, you know, we probably need to write this down. We need to make a note. We need to pay attention to what is taking place. We need to be alert to those spiritually significant moments. Sometimes we miss it, though because we're not paying close enough attention to catch them. You ever think about how much we miss in life because we have our eyes glued to a smartphone? 
I was thinking about this the other day. You know, how many of us are busy living our, living our lives through the camera lens of a smartphone? Um, I, I see people all the time. I've, you know, I've got my sermon notes on an iPad here, and I see people all the time that are like at events, and they're filming the event, and they're looking at the event as they film it through the iPad. And I think, what if you just watch the event and not the iPad? I mean, that's like having a miniature TV in front of your, uh, in front of your face, and they're filming that event on that, uh, on that iPad. We're so busy living our lives through the cameras on our phones that uh, I wonder how much life we're actually missing in the process. Last weekend, I met a guy who was, uh, we were at a, a Jeep, Jeep event over in Jasper, and, and, uh, and this guy wanted to show me something on his phone. He was in a shop, and so he said, man, I got a picture I want you to see. And so he pulls his phone out, and, and we're talking, and, and he is, we literally stood there for, for minutes. I don't know how many minutes, uh, but we, the dude was cycling through literally hundreds and thousands of pictures in his phone to try to get back to this one picture that he was wanting to show me. Um, do you ever think about the fact that we're missing real life because we're so eager to take a picture of it? I mean, again, a beautiful sunset. How many of us that our first inclination when we see the beautiful sunset is, ooh, let me get a picture of it. And, and you say, well, what's wrong with taking a picture? Well, there's nothing wrong with taking a picture of it, but it occurred to me that one day we're gonna die. It's appointed for all of us, and our children are gonna be left with smartphones with 50 terabyte hard drives in them that are literally filled with hundreds of thousands of pictures that we've taken in our life. Now, today, if someone in the pre-smartphone generation passes away, there's something about the family gathering and looking through those printed pictures. And those printed pictures get submitted to the, to the funeral home and they get put in the, you know, they get put in the slideshow thingamajig. And, and, and for the family that's grieving to be able to look through those printed pictures and remember those times gone by, think about our current generation that when, when that begins to happen, that their descendants are gonna have to look through hundreds of thousands of pictures. How do you even begin that process of grieving or, or processing that sort of information. I'm convinced that we're missing moments because we're so eagerly capturing those moments that will be, eventually be lost forever. You know, if I, if I take in a moment and, and I don't worry about capturing a picture of it, if I just take in a moment, a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise or, or some other moment and I just take it in with my own eyes and process it with my own mind, then that is something that I get to carry with me for the rest of my life. But if I worry about getting the perfect picture of it, well then I miss the moment and I've got a picture of it that's gonna be lost in my camera roll 100 pages down that I never think about again. I wonder how much we're missing in life because we're so eagerly trying to catch those moments. How much spiritual things are we missing because we're so focused on, on living life through that, that digital screen? Sometimes I think we, we miss things because we've secularized too much. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not looking at a group of church people and saying, you guys are secular. That's not the case. Obviously, you believe something or you wouldn't be here this morning. You know, nobody ever comes to church that doesn't have some level of beliefs. You know, there's something that's compelled them to come to church. They may not be a Christian, but we'd call them at least seekers. They're looking for truth. They're looking for information. Uh, but I think about how much we've been secularized. Maybe it's too much for us to expect that God might want to interrupt our lives. 
But I really do believe this. We serve an extraordinary Savior who wants us to daily walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It should not shock us that God wants to interrupt our lives with moments of spiritual significance. It shouldn't surprise us that God wants to do that. How many of us just, we don't expect God to move anymore? We expect to go through our lives without any real change of scenery, any real change of circumstances. We, we expect things to just remain status quo without any real expectation that God might come and disrupt our lives. You know, we've touched on this the last couple of weeks, but so many times our tendency in our life today is, is we wait until we get into trouble before we decide it's time to get the Lord involved. But that's not the pattern that God wants in our lives. Following Christ means that we seek Jesus and his kingdom daily. Daily, it's a daily part of our lives. It's not something that we do when we're in trouble. It's something we do every day, every moment, every, every breath we take. I know when we read the Bible, we read examples of like what happened in Joshua chapter four. We look at the mighty hand of God that's at work and it manifests itself in these pages over and over and over again. And we ask ourselves, you know, why doesn't God move like that anymore? Why don't we see God's hand do those things anymore? We all understand. It doesn't seem that God's parting very many waters anymore. But if we believe what's true about God, that God hasn't changed, the only thing that's changeable in the equation is what? We are. We are. God's not changed. God's character hasn't changed. If anything's changed, we have. Perhaps we're so smart and so awakened that we neglect to see moments of glory that exist if we just simply will open our eyes and hearts to them. Maybe we don't see prayers answered because we're simply not praying them. Or what we are praying, perhaps we're praying for the wrong reason. James had some strong words about that very issue. In James chapter 4, verse 1, he said, What causes quarrels and what causes fight among you, fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Maybe our faith has been sanitized to the supernatural because we've gotten a little too cozy with the wrong kingdom. We'll see in the next few chapters that this will become a very serious problem for Israel that Joshua will have to work through. But that day on the riverbank, everybody knew something tremendous, something significant was about to happen. They may not have known what, they may not have, been, they may not have had any idea of what was about to happen, but they all knew that God was about to move and God was about to do something that day on the riverbank. I wonder how many of us today we showed up to church expecting to see God move. How many of us showed up to church today expecting to see God move? How many of us started our Sunday morning with a simple prayer? Lord, would you make yourself known as we gather for worship today? Man, that's what happened in the river that day. God made himself known. There was no doubt for anybody that walked through that river that God was not real. Now, they may not have believed everything he said, as we find out later on, but, man, they knew he was real. They knew that he was powerful. They knew that he was mighty. Do we still believe that? Do we still acknowledge that today? How many of us? Our Sundays might look different if we simply started our day with a prayer, Lord, make yourself known as we gather for worship today. And then we show up at church. I wonder what God's gonna do. 
I wonder who God's gonna change. I wonder whose life's gonna be touched today. I wonder who's gonna get saved today because God's gonna move and God's gonna stir and God's gonna do something in our midst today. What if an entire church began our Sunday with a simple prayer, Lord, would you make yourself known as we gather for worship today? And God was about to make himself known that day on the Jordan River. That, gener- that generation of Israelites, you know, you think about it, they had already seen the steady hand of God's faithfulness. Even as their parents and grandparents died in the wilderness, every day, guess what those people got to do? Every day, they got to go out, except for the Sabbath. Every day, they got to go out and they gathered manna, each and every single day. As they roamed in the wilderness for 40 years, as they were raised in the wilderness, can you imagine a a child being born in the wilderness who would grow up helping their parents harvest manna daily? And as they went out and gathered manna and they, they learned what the manna was, they learned that it was God's daily provision. They learned on Friday they gathered a double portion so that they wouldn't have to gather on Saturday. And on Saturday they talked about the fact that God took care of their daily bread from yesterday's provision. Each and every single day, every one of these people was able to gather and follow God in his faithfulness daily. But I would imagine that daily provision of manna became normal. Uh, you know, it, it's like my house. If, if you get up in the morning at my house, around five o'clock in the morning, there's gonna be a pot of coffee brewing. Uh, you know, I, it, it, it happens because the night before I get, I get it ready and when I wake up, I go and I hit the button. And I know that, that by the time it's ready, I'm ready. And every morning that pot of coffee's there and I don't think, God, thank you for this pot of coffee. Uh, it's just part of the daily routine until it's not. If I didn't hit the button right and it didn't brew, it's like, oh my goodness, everything's disrupted. Everything's wrong. Everything's different. Every day these people gathered, and I imagine it got to the point where they probably didn't think much about that supernatural provision that God was taking care of there. But now, this generation was about to see God's mighty hand move in their midst. Think about our own faith. If you're a Christian today, I've got good news for you. You daily experience God's grace. Daily, you experience God's grace poured out on you. You may not think much about it. You may not give it two thoughts. But if you are a Christian today, you are walking in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has covered you with his blood and he has forgiven your sin. And you may not have thought much about that today. But each and every single day that you are alive, every breath you take, you are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You daily walk and experience God's grace. How many of us have grown accustomed to that remarkable provision of salvation that God has given to us? I had a pastor buddy that was preaching at a convention, and he brought some guys from his church, and buddy, they were an amen corner. I mean, these guys were... uh, you know, he, they were fuel to the preacher's fire. When, when he was talking, they were amening, and he, he talked to the rest of the conference, and he said, y'all gonna have to forgive my friends up here. They got saved and never got over it. And I thought, man, that's a good word. That's a good word. How many of us have gotten saved? And over the course of time, we've simply gotten over it. Well, in Joshua chapter four, there's an extraordinary event that happens. It's an extraordinary day. And Joshua was commanded to mark the event. The Lord wanted to ensure that everybody knew what happened that day, so he instructed a man from each tribe to take a stone from the riverbed. 
And then Joshua set those stones up in a conspicuous monument on the western side of the Jordan River. I don't know what the monument looked like. I don't know how he stacked them. I don't know if he had mortar. I don't know if he built, I don't know what he did. All we're told is that he stacked them up and made a conspicuous structure there where people would see it and they would know. And just for fun, God didn't tell him to do this. He just chose to do it out of his own free time. Uh, he went above and beyond what God said and said, I'm not only going to build an all, uh, this stone monument on the side of the Jordan River, I'm going to be sneaky. And where the priests were standing in the middle of the Jordan River, I want to stack up another pile of rocks. And it, it, the Bible says it's there to this day. And I don't know who, what Israelite, when they were writing Joshua, went and checked. But somebody went and looked and found that that pile of rocks in the middle of the Jordan River was still there so that some Israelite in the future generation who wanted to go dive and find the rocks, they could say, this is the spot. This is where the priests stood when the Jordan River parted. And there on the side of the Jordan River, there was this monument. Everybody would know. There wouldn't be any doubt that that's where God moved. Our family enjoys hiking from time to time, and uh, a new trend has started. I don't know if you've seen this, if you've been out in the woods at all, but, uh, but a lot of times if you visit a creek bed or a rocky creek, people who've been there before you will stack rocks. And, uh, and you can see this in real popular places where there's a lot of traffic. People will stack these rocks up, and they just get river stones, and they stack them up. And I've been to a lot of creeks in my life. I've been to a lot of riverbeds in my life, and I have never seen Mother Nature stack rocks. Uh, there's, I've never looked at that stack of rocks and said, man, the river really washed those rocks around in a really interesting pattern. You know, I look at that and realize the only possible way that that stack of rocks could be there is that somebody before me had more free time on their hands than I had, and they had time to stack those rocks because rocks don't stack themselves. Joshua's monument was conspicuous. People would have seen it, and they would have had to ask the question, what in the world happened right here? in this place, in this time. There's a lot of places like that around our world, places that are marked so you'll know that this is, this is the spot. Maybe you've been at some of those places before. I've been to Jamaica, and, uh, and, and if you go to Jamaica, they'll, they'll tell you that there's places where, where Columbus landed, and everybody's got a different idea of where Columbus landed. So I've stood in lots of places where Columbus supposedly landed. Surely one of them was the right spot. But it is neat to be able to stand there and think about what happened in that place. I've got a bucket list item. I want to go run at, uh, at Forrest Gump Point. I want to go run there. That's in Monument Valley in Utah, and, and just one of my bucket list items is, I probably wouldn't have hair like that, but I want to run down that road. Uh, and, and I do want my picture made with the, uh, with the, the, the uh, st uh, whatever those things are. My geography's gone for a while. Um, I want that picture. I want that. That's a bucket list to say that I've, I've been there. Um, I'd love to go to the church in Germany where Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the wall. I'd love to stand outside that church door where that happened. I mean, those places where God moved, those places where God did something, lots of places like that. Not, he didn't do that here, of course. Maybe you've got places that stand out in your mind where Things have happened. Things have, historic moments have transpired, and you'd love to stand. You'd love to visit. I'd love to go visit the Holy Land and walk in the places where, where our Bible stories uh, unfolded. I mean, what a, what a remarkable thing. Has anybody ever been, been to the Holy Land before? Some of you? I mean, what, a, what an incredible thing. Spiritual milestones are often difficult to mark, but they're important for our faith. How do we mark it? Sometimes they need to be just mental notes, signposts that you can look back on 
and remember what God did. Marking them may be as simple as using those date pages on the front of your Bible. But God's movement in our lives is often far beyond just the dates available to us in the front of our Bible. You know, those dates say baptism and, you know, salvation and maybe marriage or those sort of things. You know, we get a very limited set of uh, timelines there on the front of the Bible. But how do we remember those times that God did something that's not recordable by the timeline in the front of the Bible? Think of all the times when God has moved in our life, when God has done something, places and people where he has moved. I have incredibly vivid memories of those big days, and they've been written down in, in various forms over my life, but what does your journey look like? Have you taken time to write down and take notes of the answered prayers? Take notes of the times when the Lord seemed particularly close. As our young people go to camp, how many of us have taken time to, to just make a note of what God did? I mean, this year at camp, some of our young people's lives were radically changed. Uh, Make a note of how God changed your life at camp this year. There's some real practical things you can do to help mark those moments. Some people love journaling. Some people hate it. If you haven't gotten to the habit of journaling, you might find it difficult. But once you get started, you'll have a valuable resource to go back and look. And I'm going to tell you something. Your kids would much rather, rather look at your journal of what God had done than the 100,000 pictures you take on your cell phone. I would much rather be able to see how God moved in my family's life than try to sort through all the pictures that we have taken and we have stored ad infinitum on our devices. That journal of God's movement is be so much more valuable than those pictures that we take of absolutely everything. Maybe telling somebody is as simple as what we need to do. Ever notice how often we ask for prayer but we don't mention it as much when God answers our prayers? When God answers prayers, that's something we should celebrate. Give him credit where credit is due. And what if we post it online? We're really good at posting things online. We can use InstaTwitBook for all kinds of different things. But what if we use it to boast about Jesus? What if we use it to go ahead and, and update our status about what God has done in our life, how God has moved? Now, here's the thing. You might lose some friends. There might be people who, who hide you. It's all right. We all do it. Like, it's okay. I mean, just we hide people that we don't want to see their stuff, and that's okay. Um, you might lose friends who don't care about your faith journey, but you might just be an encouragement, too. I imagine Instagram would have been lit up with pictures from the Jordan River crossing. And future generations would see that and say, wow, look what God has done. We also should consider that some of these moments that we have, God is preparing us for greater things. Crossing the Jordan River was a baby step for Joshua and the nation. It was a huge moment but it was really just a baby step. It was a required faith, but there was a pattern. They knew God had, spread, had parted the waters before, so it wasn't something new. This wasn't something that was unheard of. So, so crossing the Jordan River was certainly a step of faith, but it was a baby step of faith compared to those folks who had to walk through the Red Sea. But it was a preview of what they would eventually be facing. And, of course, we understand what would happen at Jericho. Walking through the Jordan River on dry ground was much easier than marching around a city and blowing the horn from a faith standpoint, because God had shown himself able to part the Red Sea. This thing about marching around Jericho, we hadn't experienced that before. But seeing God's hand, hand at work in the Jordan prepared them for what was to come. I've come to learn that God often doesn't work in isolation, but that he is weaving a huge tapestry of his handiwork, working in different people's lives in different seasons to bring about something that's bigger than any of us could ever imagine. 
I look at our church and our community. I can't help but recognize that something's stirring in this community. Something's stirring. Something's moving. It's, it's, it's happening. And you can't help but see the construction and realize. Now, you could dislike it as a citizen of our community. Uh, I don't love where I live that there's apartment complexes moving in as a homeowner. But as a kingdom citizen, I'm elated. Because that means that there's people that are new to our community who we have a new opportunity to point, point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can dislike it as a citizen of Walker County, but as a citizen of God's kingdom, you ought to be excited when you see things like this transpiring. You ought to be motivated when you see these sort of things happen. And whatever we've been through before is preparing us for what is next. I believe that as a church, we're going to look back on COVID and we're going to recognize that COVID was a moment that God was using to get us ready for what is to come because COVID tore everything away, didn't it? You know, it, it stripped it all away and said, uh, said, let's focus on what matters most. Let's, let's pay attention to what the most important thing is. And it got us ready. And finally, we look at this monument that Joshua erected, and it's an important thing for us to understand that we need to be communicating these things to the next generation we understand that Joshua's purpose in this monument was to have something to share with subsequent generations. And again, this would have been fresh on Joshua's mind from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. God says this, he says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. He then goes on, he says, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Man, God wanted the next generation to understand his faithfulness. God wanted the next generation to understand who he was and what he meant, what his words were. One of our great weaknesses is I believe we don't train our children very well in our heritage. Not our not our. Not our Southern heritage, not our American heritage, not all those things. All those things we tend to communicate very well, but I'm talking about our spiritual heritage. We send them to school, and they learn all kinds of things about secular history. They learn about World War I and World War II, and they learn about all those things, and all those things are, of course, important. But we, as God's people, should be pointing them to the history of God's work in our lives. That is our responsibility. Nobody else is going to do that. I had a pastor friend. He's going to be with the Lord now. But he always used to share the story of how he came to faith in Christ. It was one of the most encouraging things to hear him talk about. Talking about his daddy was a farmer, and he would be outside playing, and you know the corn would be growing in rows really close to the, to the house. And he said he'd go out in the yard, and he'd hear his dad in the, kind of cloaked in the corn rows. And he'd be out there in the corn rows, and he'd hear his dad praying. He could hear his dad sobbing, and he knew what was happening. And his dad was out there in the corn rows, and he was praying for his son. And he would listen to his dad pray for his son. And when his dad finished, he'd go about his work, and he'd go out there where his dad was, and he'd look down, and the, the soil where his dad was kneeling would be soaked wet with his tears. And God used that to eventually bring him to faith in Christ. He became a great pastor. But that story that he had was an encouragement to his children and his grandchildren. It was an encouragement to younger pastors like me. I wonder... If your kids know your faith journey, do your grandchildren know your faith journey? 
Uh, it's one thing for you to be able to share your own testimony, but I think a true mark of, of our ability as parents and grandparents to disciple the next generation is can our children convey our faith journey? When you can share your testimony, that's one thing, but when your children can share your testimony, then you are starting to see progress and fruit in being able to communicate to the next generation what God has done in your lives. Do your children know the faith journey of their grandparents? I mean, wouldn't that be something to talk about today? Ask your grandparents today if they're still around, how they got saved, how they came to faith in Jesus, what sort of God moments they have in their life. Have that conversation with grandparents today. This is what God wanted from this monument that was built there on the side of the Jordan River. In Joshua chapter four, verse 21, it says this. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know, I think about that, and that really is still what our task is. That's still our job today to be communicating to subsequent generations that the Lord your God is mighty. We have to share that because no one else is. The media is not going to tell them that the Lord your God is mighty. TikTok is not gonna tell them that the Lord your God is mighty. Their classroom is not gonna teach them that the Lord your God is mighty. The only people who are gonna teach the kids that the Lord our God is mighty is us as a community of faith and as Christian parents and Christian grandparents. And maybe what you need to do is go find you 12 big rocks in the yard and pile them up in the front yard in some creative way. Pile you up 12 rocks so that when your kids say, Dad, what's that pile of rocks there for? Well, let me tell you about those 12 rocks. And you use this story as a way to bridge the gap between them and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I believe this. I believe that in Joshua chapter four, God was mighty. He was mighty. And I believe it today that he is still mighty. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to use us for his glory. He is mighty to use us to reach the community around us if we'll put our hands to work and go ahead and drag the stones out of the river. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I'm grateful for your words from Joshua chapter four. Thank you, God, for moving like you did to to stop up that river, that that nation could cross on dry ground. Lord, how many of us over the course of our lives have got stories of your faithfulness, times when you've worked and moved, and maybe if we had a stone altar that we could point to and say, this is a reminder of what you've done. This is a reminder of how you've moved. This is, this is where you worked. Maybe if we don't have those moments, maybe we're not paying close enough attention. We're focused on other things. We're looking in other directions and not looking to the Lord. So God, I pray that you would help us to be open and obedient to you and be eager to point the next generation in your direction. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.